Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. So this week, we're continuing on in our story of Joseph and Judah. And the, the portion is Vayigash, which is he, he came near, he drew near. And the message, to, or the topic of the message today is, can there be redemption? And for, to get to where we are, we kind of have to do a little bit of a recap of where we've been over the past few weeks. Right, we've been back when we began the story of Jacob. We were talking about how Jacob was becoming a man of righteousness, a man who would walk in the truth and would move away from his name of Jacob, of being one who was roundabout and begin to be one who was taking things head on. But he didn't start out that way, right? He started out operating more in his namesake of the deceiver, and then he had to become a man of truth to be able to walk in God's calling for his life. So we talked about becoming and overcoming. And then as we've gone through and begun to talk about the stories of Joseph and Jacob, we've discussed in some level about the parallels of the the life events that Joseph and, and Judah went through that paralleled the life of Jacob. So the things that Jacob encountered and he, he endured along the way now his children were facing the same kind of challenges. One of which, for example, was the aspect of, of the deception. When Jacob came in and deceived his father Israel, or, uh, Isaac, and he had received the blessing, he had gone in and deceived his father, and his father didn't recognize him. He thought that it was Esau, and so he received that blessing. And then you come down to the sale of Joseph, and Joseph's brothers sold him, and then they took a garment, they dipped it in blood, and they took it to their father, to Jacob, and said, do you recognize this? And so Jacob recognized it as his son's coat, and he was deceived in thinking that his son was dead. So you had a deception that Jacob had walked in, and now his sons walked in a parallel deception. And then there's, there's many other uh, examples of this, but there's these parallels, and Within these parallels, you know, we read them and we read them and, and as we read them, we know how the story turns out. And so that affects our perception of how the story plays out and even how we would process it. But in reality, each time that these events are replayed, they don't have to turn out the way they did. The participants in the stories had a choice along the way and their choice would either perpetuate and continue failures that had, had occurred in the past, or they could actually work out as a redemption, as a way of doing it right before the Lord. Right. And so each time they were walking through these parallels, there was the chance of turning it around and doing it differently. And we talked in the past, I don't know if, it, I think it was two weeks ago, we talked about how after the brothers had sold Joseph into slavery, that Judah was lowered in the esteem of his brothers, and he went down from them. 
Okay, so he was no longer acting as a leader because his brothers had seen the anguish that Jacob had felt at losing his son. And so now Judah goes and he um, encounters the prostitute by the, by the street side, who wasn't actually the prostitute, but it was his daughter-in-law. And they come to a place where Judah has to recognize his sin, and then he has to deal with it. And when he does come to that point of having to deal with what he has done, he recognizes and says, she's right, it's from me, and she's more righteous than I am. But he came to a critical point of decision at that time. He could have denied it. He could have tried to walk away. He could have tried to walk in deception. But instead, he recognized what the truth was and how he had walked not faithfully with his brother originally and how he had deceived his father. And now he had, a, he had the opportunity again to deceive, but no, he faced it head on and he fessed up to what had taken place. So he was going through a testing just as the brothers did multiple times. And last week we left off with the story of Joseph testing his brothers to see if they really were going to act as brothers or if they were going to act as spies, ones who would betray their brother. And so Joseph went through these tests that he placed before them. And then this week we come to the climax of the story. We come to the climax where there's the confrontation between Judah and Joseph, followed by the revelation of Joseph as their brother and the reconciliation that the brothers that were then able to walk into. And as we went through these weeks, I thought about, you know, what was Joseph's game plan? He didn't know how it was going to turn out, right? So instead, he, he recognizes his brothers. He says that they're spies, and the way they need to prove that they're brothers is to bring Benjamin to him. Now, I've wondered, was it a, was it a rescue mission for Benjamin? Was he thinking perhaps Benjamin needs to be saved from them so that he doesn't fall under the same fate that I did? Or was it with the full intent of we're going to be reconciled through this process? I don't know if he knew how it was going to play out. So I think he went forward with the rescue process and along the way found that he really had brothers. And as, and again, even with that, his brothers still had the choice of were they going to be a brother to Benjamin or were they not going to be a brother to Benjamin? Right. So I want to go back and we'll walk through a little bit of what was taking place here. Now we know that Jacob's favorite son after it was Joseph originally. And then after losing Joseph, his favorite son was now Benjamin. And part of the reason why Joseph was sold into slavery was because of his position as the favored son and because the brothers saw him as a spy, one who was coming to bring bad reports of them to their father. And so back in Genesis 42, verse 36, so we're going to hit a few verses from last week's portion and then work our way into this, this week's portion. Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. 
put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. So he's repeating some of the same things that he had with the loss of Joseph. But notice this, what he says is, his brother is dead and he is the only one left. Now to brothers who had felt the sting of having a mother who was not the favored mother and having a brother who was not the favored brother, to hear their father now say, he is the only one left, that would be yet another sting coming into their hearts, or at least a, a chance, a potential for offense that they could take from it. So it's, why is it all about Benjamin? But despite, despite that, you know, Reuben now had offered that he would give up his two sons in exchange for Jacob's two sons that were lost if he wouldn't bring Benjamin back, right? But that's not what Jacob was desiring. The loss of more life was not going to be the solution to his anguish. So instead, what needed to happen was for Judah to step up. And he does in Genesis 43, 8 through 9. Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. So Judah steps up and is willing to lay himself on the line to place himself as surety for this brother, the favored brother. And then we know the story that we talked about last week. They come down. So they come down to see Joseph and they have a, a banquet set before them. And all of the brothers received the same portion that Joseph received, except for Benjamin, who received five times the amount of food. So now here it is, Joseph showing the favoredness of Benjamin again before his brothers. Now the brothers had plenty. I mean, they had Joseph's portion, right? But then where would their hearts be when they saw Benjamin getting special treatment, even in Egypt? It wasn't enough that it was just their father, but now too, the ruler of Egypt would do the same. Now then, everything's going well and they're heading back home. But Joseph had hidden the silver goblet in Benjamin's bag, and he sends his servant to go and pursue them. And of course, all the brothers think that there's no way the accusations against them could be true. So when they hear the accusations that someone has stolen the silver goblet, they say, whoever it's found with shall die. Just as Jacob had said when Laban had pursued him and overtaken him and said, you've stolen my idols. And Jacob says, search everywhere. You're not going to find it, but whoever, whoever has it will surely die. And of course, the result is that Rachel had taken them unbeknownst to Jacob. And now you have the same thing where Benjamin had taken, supposedly taken, right? It was a ruse. It was a setup. But now, unbeknownst to the brothers, Benjamin had taken the silver goblet. And now it's found out that he has it in his bag. So his penalty, according to what his brothers said, should be death. But what the, what the servant of Joseph says is, no, he's going to become my servant. So now they, 
the brothers' response to this, they had a choice that they could make. Do they wipe their hands of this and say, I can't believe that our brother would return such evil to someone who had just done him such kindness with bringing him in, giving him a banquet, giving him five times the ruler's portion of food. It's a great opportunity for his brothers to say, well, you made a bad choice. You're going to bear your sin, and we're going to go home. And what can we tell dad except your son was not righteous, and he got what he deserved, okay? But that's not what they do. Instead, they all, let me see here, we've got, they all saddled up and headed back with him. It's, it's actually in uh, Genesis 44, 13. It says, they rent their garments, and each one reloaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Now, within this, I think part of the reason why they were able to, I mean, there, there's multiple reasons why they would be able to go and saddle up and head back to see Joseph and then offer themselves as, as servants. But I think part of the reason why is back to the question of when they look at what happened with Benjamin, to say, how could someone return evil for kindness that they've been shown? Can that person actually be forgiven? And then they have a check in their heart when they remember what they had done to Joseph. And they say, can the 10 brothers who sold their brother into slavery be forgiven? Just as when they've been thrown into prison, they said, this is all coming back on us for what we've done. Right? And now they say, well, can we be forgiven? If we can be forgiven, can Benjamin be forgiven? And can they now show compassion and loyalty to their brother who's in trouble when before they had failed, when they had heard his cries from the pit, but they didn't listen and bring him up, but instead they sold him into slavery? So can that redemption come to those who have committed a great sin? And so now they choose loyalty and compassion for their brother, and they go back with him. Now, with regard to this, you know, as I mentioned before, they had a choice as to what they were going to do. It wasn't set in stone. And you don't really know who you are until you're put to the test. When you come under pressure and what's hidden inside of you begins to come out. Because what's really in their heart is what began to play out in their actions and how they were going to act towards their brother. Because they felt repentance for what they had done to Joseph. And now they were able to walk according to that and say, we're going to stand by our brother even when we believe he's done something wrong. And we're going to go and intercede for him, not to leave him behind. Now, with this too, now, do we only have one shot to prove exactly who we are? Or are there multiple chances that we face throughout our life? Just as Jacob had failed in deception and the brothers had failed in deception, that didn't mean that the next time they came to the test that they would have to fail because they could now face it head on and walk in truth and walk in righteousness. Just as Judah, just as Judah had done when he faced 
the issue with Tamar. And actually, I do want to go and, and take a look at that in Genesis 38, verse 25 to 26. Okay, so Tamar had been found to be pregnant, and they were bringing her out, and they were going to burn her. So death was her penalty. But as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. And then Judah identified them. And another translation says, then Judah recognized And he said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. So Judah recognized his sin. He recognized his sin back with with having deceived his father. And now he was recognizing this deception as well. And he said, no, she is more righteous than I. And began to move forward in a turning point in his life of how he would walk uprightly. And he would stand for those actually, who were falsely accused, if you know. So Tamar here is falsely accused. And now Judah's own brother is falsely accused. And will he stand for his brother? So Judah, when it came down to it, he humbled himself, sacrificially gave himself in the place of his youngest brother because of his love for his father. And that brings us to what we're going to read here today within our portion in Genesis 44:18 Judah went up to him and said, "O oh my lord, please let your servant speak a word in my lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself." My lord asked his servants saying, "Have you a father or a brother?" And we said to my lord, "We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead." And he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food. We said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, You will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? 
I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So Judah is giving a, a plea to Joseph for mercy, that Joseph would take him instead of Benjamin. It's not that Joseph is going to kill Benjamin because Joseph has already said, no, I'm going to take him as a slave. But Judah, out of his deep love for his father and out of loyalty to his brother, says, take me instead. Take me in his place. And that act that he was taking was absolute proof of the repentance that he was walking in. And with that, with that move, with what he was doing, with what he was saying to Joseph, it's that show of love and loyalty that moved the heart of Joseph to reveal himself to his brothers. It's what he longed to do. He wanted reconciliation with the brothers. In fact, that's why he sent their money back with them in their, in their bags of grain. He said, I'm your brother. You don't need to purchase the grain I'm going to give it to you. This was before he knew fully where their hearts were. Now he had overheard them recognizing that they had done wrong to their brother, right, in that initial encounter. But there was still more that he needed to see from them. Would they continue to walk in love and compassion towards their brother, even when they saw him favored, even when they saw him accused of stealing? And he saw loyalty that goes beyond anything the world could expect to see. Where one would give of themselves sacrificially out of love. So then we see, we see Joseph moved at this point. And he can't restrain himself any longer. So in Genesis 45, verse 1, the scripture says, Now Joseph could no longer restrain himself in front of all those who were standing by him. So he cried out, Get everyone away from me. So no one stood with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. But he gave his voice to weeping, so that the Egyptians heard and Pharaoh's household heard. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And his brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They couldn't believe what was standing before them. Even though they heard him speaking with his lips, saying, Ani Yosef, right? It's almost like the story that we read in Luke 24, when after the resurrection, Yeshua appears to the disciples in the room, and he says, peace to you. And they just didn't know what they were seeing. And he said, come and touch me and see. Come near, touch me and see that it's me. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. I'm Joseph, your brother, the one who you sold to Egypt. He said, so now don't be grieved and don't be angry in your own eyes that you sold me here. Since it was for preserving life that God sent me here before you. For there has been two years of famine in the land and there will be five more years yet with no plowing or harvesting. But God sent me ahead of you to ensure a remnant in the land and to keep you alive for a great escape. So now it wasn't you. You didn't send me here, but God. And he made me as a father to Pharaoh, Lord over his whole house and ruler over the entire land of Egypt. 
go up quickly to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. Then you'll live in the land of Goshen and be close to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your cattle and everything that belongs to you. I'll provide food for you there, for the famine will last another five years. Otherwise, you'll lose everything, you and your household and everything that belongs to you. And look, you and my brother Benjamin can see with your own eyes that it's my mouth that's speaking to you. You must tell my father about all my honor in Egypt and about all that you've seen, and you must quickly bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed his brothers and wept upon them. Finally, after this, his brothers talked with him. So you see the great revelation and the reconciliation that's taking place with the brothers. It's, we've also often talked about this revelation of Joseph to his brothers at this time, that he is the ruler over Egypt is a picture of Yeshua and the revelation that he will give to his brothers in the coming days. For Yeshua is ruling over all the earth. But his brothers don't recognize him at this time because he appears to them as someone who is adorned in Greek garments, just as Joseph was adorned in Egyptian garments. And so there is an, in, an inability for them to recognize who he is, even though even at this time he is continuing to show compassion to them in hidden gifts, just as when they came back and they said, we, we went home from the first trip and we had our, our sacks of grain and the, and the money was in it, but we had paid. And the servant says, your, your money had reached me. But he has hidden a treasure in your sacks. Even today, God is being gracious unto his people. Even though there is not the recognition yet of Yeshua as Messiah. But a day is coming when the compassion and loyalty of Judah will compel the heart of God to send Yeshua. And the revelation will happen. And the reconciliation with the brothers will happen. That will be a joyous day. And just as Joseph said, it wasn't you who sold me. It's God who sent me before you to bring about a great salvation. So too, Yeshua will say, it's not you who sold me. I gave up my life for God sent me to bring a great salvation to you. It was God's plans and purpose that would stand, that a redemption would take place and salvation would happen. Now, we've talked about how both Joseph and Judah in these past chapters, they've each been going through their story and working out really paths of redemption. Joseph as Messiah ben Joseph and Judah as Messiah ben David. The Messiah ben Joseph being the one who would suffer on behalf of the nation and on, and as on the nation. And then Messiah ben David, the one who would come and be the ruler and reign reigner over all of the well, all of Israel, right? And be even beyond that through Yeshua, the one Messiah who is both Messiah ben Joseph and Messiah ben David, the one who is given for the salvation of the world and the one who will come and rule and reign over all the world. Now these two, what was happening here between Joseph and Judah in this portion, you see Messiah ben Joseph acting here to bring this reconciliation, but you also see Messiah ben David standing to be the reconciler between the brothers, right? And the actions of Judah 
could not have taken place had Messiah been Joseph not gone before him. Right? Joseph going before them into Egypt and having God raise him up as a deliverer, as one who would bring salvation and provision to his brothers to preserve them in the trials that would come ahead, had to take place for, ben, for Judah to have the opportunity to bring Benjamin and come and have his redemption. Okay, so that set the scene. Joseph went before as the preparer of the way, and then Judah had to choose to walk in righteousness and repentance and to humble himself and to give of himself and have that reconciliation come. And we see the beauty of that. And that's, um, we see the reconciliation. And the Hofetz Chaim, uh, who was in the late 1800s and early 1900s, he said, what his commentary says, when Joseph said, I am Joseph, God's master plan became clear to the brothers. They had no more questions. Everything that had happened for the last 22 years fell into perspective. So too will it be in the time to come when God will reveal himself and announce, I am the Lord. The veil will be lifted from our eyes and we will comprehend everything that transpired throughout history. The Hovitz Chaim, he was looking to the time when Yeshua reveals himself as Messiah and the brothers see and they recognize that God's hand was on this and they will look upon the one whom they have pierced and they will know that this is the day the Lord has made. And the, corner, the stone that the builders had rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Just as we talked about last week about what was said of David when he was crowned as king. So the redemption Judah brings only comes as a result of the salvation that was brought through Joseph. And as I was thinking this morning on this message of, of redemption, And the, the redemption that's to come, Romans 11 came to mind. So I want to go take a look at Romans 11. Actually, okay. Just, I want to go back to a spot that I was at before. In Genesis 45, as we were reading about this revelation, Something stood out to me I hadn't seen before, and I want to see if I can find it again. I don't know. It may come back. We'll see. Okay. So in Romans 11, the scripture says, this is Paul speaking. He says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. This is where it is. Okay, so here we have Elijah saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and they have torn down your altars and I alone am left and they are seeking my life. So, Wicked men 
have been slaying the prophets and Elijah is, is seemingly the only voice left standing for God. And he has, he has just won a great victory. God has shown himself and now he's being pursued to be killed. And he's crying out to God, saying, I'm the only one left and they're seeking my life. In a way, I can think of him crying out and saying, God, the unrighteous are pursuing me and they are afflicting me. How long will you wait until you bring your judgment on these wicked ones? I could also think of the brothers saying the same thing when Joseph is calling them spies and throwing them in prison and saying, Lord, how long will you wait to judge the, this unrighteous Egyptian who has accused us falsely? When are you going to bring him to justice? Right? But then there's the question that comes up of, can there be redemption for those unrighteous? Can God take them and transform them and bring them to a place of repentance, just as the brothers had come to a place of repentance after unrighteously selling their brother into slavery? And you could have imagined even Joseph crying out from the pit, Lord, how long will you wait to bring them to account? But God says, you don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing something behind the scenes that you don't know. And I have kept 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And, and that's, that's what struck me. Uh, there was a remnant mentioned in the verses that we were just reading. I think Joseph brought it up about a remnant that was being preserved. Right? That God had sent him ahead to preserve a remnant. Okay, so you have this, okay, I wonder if I can find it. Does anybody see that? Okay, well, I don't, I don't see it here, but I know I read it <laughs> while we were reading here. But anyway, so there's a remnant that's being preserved and what, one thing that was coming to my mind with this is the brothers, for example, being thrown in prison and accused as being spies and having the potential to call out for God to bring justice for them. They didn't know that the very affliction that they were facing was the thing that was going to bring their redemption. Right? They didn't know the very thing that they were facing that seemed like unrighteousness, that was an affliction, was going to be the very thing that brought forth their redemption. Even too in our lives, when we have the same challenges and trials that we go through, maybe we've faced a trial and now we're faced with that trial again. <clears throat> is it for our destruction or is it for the chance to redeem it? To do it right this time, to face the reality of it. Yes, Stephen. 45, 45 what? 45, seven, thank you. I need help here. Yeah, so in, 40, in uh, Genesis 45, 7, this, thus God has sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival in the land. Oh, yeah, okay, here it is. It's, it, it's a translation. So my translation didn't save that, but in this one, but God has sent me ahead of you to ensure a remnant in the land and to keep you alive for a great escape, right? So God's bringing a great escape to this remnant Okay, so um, Romans 11, continuing on. 
Okay. So he's got this remnant even at the present time. He's speaking, of course, at the time back in, uh, in the first century. But even in this time, there is a remnant according to God's gracious choice. He says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Okay, so just as is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, the word jealous, I actually don't prefer that as the translation. I prefer zealous because the, the Hebrew word kana can be translated as jealous or zealous. I don't think that the righteousness of the Gentiles who are walking in uh, the salvation that Yeshua has brought causes the Jews to be jealous, but is to spur them to zealousness for the covenant and faithfulness towards God. So I think that in this case, I, I prefer the translation of to make them zealous, zealous for God. But now what I saw in this passage is a parallel to what was happening in the story of Joseph and his brothers. Right? Joseph says that he was sent ahead to preserve a remnant for a momentous salvation. Okay, we know that Yeshua was sent ahead for a momentous salvation and that we have that salvation through his grace. And right here in verse 7, he says, what Israel is seeking is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it. Those who had received grace obtained it. The rest were hardened. And I thought about a parallel of this being, well, if you think about a remnant that did not participate in the sale of Joseph, it was Benjamin and Joseph as a remnant, but the other ten were hardened. The other ten were, were hardened. And then what he goes on, if we, if we come at it with this perspective of the ten being the ones who are hardened and cannot see that their brother is the ruler, okay, then he says, they didn't stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the nations to make them zealous. By the transgression of the ten brothers, Joseph was sold into slavery and God raised him up to bring salvation to Egypt, the nations. Okay? And then... What he says here is the tin didn't stumble so as to fall. But God took it and used it for good to bring a salvation to the nations and to the brothers. And he says, now, if their transgressions is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles or the nations, how much more will their fulfillment be? So then you see the opportunity now that they have sold their brother into slavery, the whole world has been saved through the provision that God brought, through the wisdom given to Joseph. And now through the reconciliation that comes to the brothers, how much more is their fulfillment? And he goes on to say in verse 15, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, 
what will their acceptance be but life from the dead, right? So now they've brought their whole family out of Canaan where the famine is that would consume everything that they have and they're being brought down to Egypt and 70 souls came down to Egypt. 70 souls represents all of the nations of the world because the world was divided into 70 nations, 70 tongues. So even there's a picture here of all the world being brought down to Egypt under the reign and provision of Joseph so they could then be brought forth, bring life from the dead because the famine was going to bring death, but the provision of Joseph brought life. And so too, to an even greater scale, when the reconciliation of the brothers happens with them and Yeshua, we will see life from the dead and the first resurrection. So again, with the brothers, even now what I see in this story of, of what's happening in Romans 11 is speaking of can the people on the broad scale, can the people, the Jewish people who sold their brother Yeshua to the foreigners for his crucifixion, can they be forgiven? Absolutely. Can they again come to show loyalty and compassion where they had failed before? Absolutely. Because there can be a redemption. And what I was thinking too, there's so many ways that you can look at the story of this reconciliation between Joseph and Judah and the brothers. And one of the questions that I've, I've had is, well, who is Benjamin? You know, who is he in the story? other than Rachel's other son, right? And there's a few ways that, that I could look at it, but what was standing out to me this time was Judah was coming and standing with compassion and loyalty for his brother, who is, who is falsely accused and was of the same mother as Joseph, right? So the two were, had a, a unique link. So in a way, I can see Benjamin and, and Joseph being looked at as parallels. Like uh, the one is gone, but the other is left. The last remaining thing of Rachel, which has close ties to Joseph, closer ties than, than even they have. Judah is now standing for him and saying, this one is accused. But I'm going to stand before him in compassion and loyalty. So even like Yeshua being uh, presented as one who's done away with the Torah, done away with the Jewish people, done away with um, or starting something, something new, falsely accused as it were. If Judah can come and bring that and stand for that one and say, no, he is my brother, which is happening today, where more and more Jews are beginning to recognize that Yeshua was a faithful Jew and upheld Torah and stood to, to actually teach the truth. It's remarkable. Even uh, there was a story in, the, uh, in Israel today, uh, printed on December 22nd, I believe, that I think it was 26 prominent rabbis in Israel had issued a statement on how Yeshua was a faithful Jew and should be uh, regarded as a brother. It's growing and it's increasing as the brothers are starting to stand as Judah, bringing Benjamin along and saying, no, he's my brother. I'm going to stand with him. And 
what is, what is Benjamin? So I was asking, I was praying, I was like, Lord, who is Benjamin? And it's simply his name, son of my right hand, right? His name was Benjamin, the son of my right hand. So when Judah comes, when the Jewish people come and say, I'm standing for Benjamin, I'm standing for the son of God's right, son of the father's right hand, that will bring forth this redemption and the reconciliation and the revelation of Yeshua, not only as a brother, but as Messiah and life from the dead. It's a beautiful picture, and it ties in, too, with what we read in our Haftarah this week with the reunification that's spoken of in Ezekiel 37. So in Ezekiel 37... I'm going to read, you can parallel along here, um, but I'm going to read from a, a separate translation, not because I think it's necessarily better, but it's the one that I read so <laughs> before coming in here. So uh, Ezekiel 37:15. the word of the Lord came to me saying, now you, son of man, take yourself one wooden tablet and write upon it for Judah and the children of Israel, his comrades, and take another wooden tablet and write upon it for Joseph, the wooden tablet of Ephraim, and all the children of Israel, his comrades, and bring close to yourself, one to the other, like a, a single wooden tablet, and they shall become one in your hand. Now when the children of your people say to you, will you not tell us what these are to you? Speak to them and say, thus says the Lord God, I will take, I take the wooden tablet of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and the tribes of Israel, his comrades, and shall place them with it together with the wooden tablet of Judah. And I will make them one wooden tablet, and they shall become one in my hand. And the wooden tablets upon which you shall write, uh, on which you will write, shall be in your hand in their sight. So here he is taking Joseph and Judah, right, who were estranged and apart because Ephraim represented um, northern Israel and Judah and Benjamin Southern, and he's going to bring the reconciliation and the reunification of those who've been divided and bring them as one. And there's other illustrations that we could see of that as well. Of We could look at it as Ephraim representing the Christian church and then Judah representing the Jewish people and how God is going to unify them, bring them together as one in his hand, just as Messiah has done spiritually, making Jew and non-Jew into one new man by the Spirit. Okay, and then he says in verse 21, Then speak to them, Thus says my Lord God, Behold, I take the children of Israel from among the nations to which they went, and I shall gather them from around, and I shall bring them to their soil. I shall make them into a single nation in the land upon Israel's hills, and a single king shall be for them all as a king. And they shall no longer be two nations, no longer divided into two kingdoms again. They will no longer be contaminated with their idols and their abhorrent things and with all their rebellious sins. And I shall save them from all their habitations in which they sinned, and I shall purify them. And they shall be for a people unto me, and I will be for a God unto them. Right? So he says, from all their sin and all their iniquity, it's not too great. I will redeem them. I will bring them back, and I will make them as one. Because redemption can come. And when it does, my servant David will be king over them. And there will be a single shepherd for all of them. 
They will go in my ordinances and they will observe my decrees and perform them. They will dwell on the land that I gave to my servant Jacob within which your forefathers dwelt and they shall dwell upon it. They, their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David will be prince for them forever. I shall seal a covenant of peace with them. An eternal covenant shall it be with them and I shall emplace them and I shall increase them and I shall place my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place shall be upon them and I shall be for a God unto them and they shall be unto me for a people. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is among them forever. Right, this is looking forward to the coming redemption, the day in which God dwells with man and he has brought reconciliation between the brothers and between the brothers and all the nations to bring them together to worship God on his holy hill. Right. It's time for that reveal. And as, as Bobby was, was saying early, don't we just desire a righteous government? Don't we desire the coming of Messiah? Right? All this that we're going through in this world, when we see trials and tribulations, we see unrighteous government, we see unrighteousness in the individual and the people and how they are trying to harm the generations that are coming up. That isn't the end. And it's, it's for us to stand in righteousness and to stand in joy, knowing that we will see the victory through our Messiah, that he has gone before us to prepare a, a momentous salvation to bring forth this remnant. Now, what does the remnant do? Right? If Joseph has gone before, if Yeshua has gone before to create this momentous redemption, who are we to act as? We're to walk as Judah walked, to face things head on, to look at them with what is reality? Where have I sinned? Where have I fallen short? And now let me rend my heart and not my garments that I can come before the Lord and find his grace, that he can create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Right? But we have to face these things head on. We don't go by cheap grace. We don't go by, oh, well, yeah, you should have paid for that. That's fine. That's just the way I am. No. We say, this is who he's called me to be. I know my sin that is ever before me, but God is a great redeemer and a great healer. Now let me go and take his grace. Let me receive of his grace and now walk in righteousness and truth. And let me defend my brother in compassion and loyalty and say, Lord, what is this that I'm going through? How is it redeeming? And how do I walk in redemption of it? And then that, when we walk in that, that's where we see God move and come and bring transformation because this sanctification that we walk in isn't just this incremental, I'm getting a little bit better, I'm getting a little bit better. He's transforming us and making us into a new creation and all these aspects that have fallen down along the way and said, I'm not content to leave you with your sin and rejection and shame. You're going to come out of that and you're going to be an instrument of reconciliation when you walk in righteousness. And then when we do, we will see God's compassion and love turn to us and where he opens up and can't contain himself anymore and says, Yeshua, it's time. And then Yeshua comes and the great revelation and the deliverance that is intended, that was set before, that was achieved 2,000 years ago, just waiting to be delivered, if we would just walk in it. So may we walk in the unification of brothers and the reconciliation and saying we are going to go humble ourselves and be 
agents of redemption, knowing that God can redeem our lives and can redeem even this fallen world through the power of his son. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you wanted to share? All right, let's pray. Lord, we bless you and thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the momentous salvation that you have achieved and are planning to bring forth into our lives in every dimension, Lord, in our spirits and in the physical, Lord, for you're not content to just save us spiritually. You will see that salvation in our spirits and in our physical reality as we become transformed to the image of your Son. Lord, I pray that you'd renew us, that you'd strengthen us, and that you'd bless us. We thank you for your goodness. We ask these things in the name of Yeshua. Amen. And now I'll just have a few announcements here. Okay. So after, Bobby's going to uh, sing the blessing over us after, after uh, the announcements here. And after we dismiss, the prayer team will be available for anyone who needs prayer. Please come get it. Um, this coming week, we will not have a midweek meeting, but we will have women's fellowship on Thursday night, January 5th. Um, that's Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.